Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hello, hello again, everybody. Thanks for uh, joining us here on Yolitics this week. Uh, I don't know why I say joining us, uh, because uh, half of us uh, are AWOL this week. So I am popping the top on a beer for myself. I'll be drinking alone. And I'm having a uh, Oktoberfest. This is from the Real Ale Brewing Company in Blanco, Texas. And yes, it's pronounced Blanco uh, here in Texas, even though it should be Blanco. We know that. Uh, and the reason I chose Oktoberfest today, uh, this is Whiteley, uh, or Wheeler, by the way. Um, the reason I chose the Oktoberfest is because Whiteley is not with us this week. The weirdest thing happened. Uh, you know, he always gives me you know, so much grief for everything I do. Uh, and, you know, he went on and on about how, you know, here I am just, you know, shirking my responsibilities and heading off to Hawaii for a while and putting my feet in the sand. And guess where Jason Whiteley is now? Jason Whiteley is also in Hawaii now. And uh, boy, it's just like monkey see, monkey do. Uh, and the reason I chose to pull out the Oktoberfest this time is because I feel like, you know, vacation's kind of over, isn't it? Um, I mean, we're almost to fall here. We've got the kids going back to school again. We'll be dipping down to like 93 degrees soon. Uh, and it just seems like, you know, all of that kind of activity should have been wrapped up by now. I don't know. Maybe Whiteley will be back with us uh, by the time we're actually uh, celebrating Oktoberfest. He's been uh, uh, in radio silence here for the past several days. So hopefully he's having a good time. I'll tell you what, I will uh, man the fort here and, and make sure that we're we're doing our jobs, though. Uh, so we have another special session underway here in Texas. Uh, this is our second one. And who knows how this is going to turn out? Because the first time around, we had this whole laundry list from the governor. Uh, and then, you know, Democrats left so that there couldn't be a quorum. They went to D.C. Uh, and so everything came to a standstill in Austin. Well, the governor re-upped. And so here we are in the second session now, and that laundry list uh, became a scroll. So, so, so now we have all of these different things that the governor wants the legislature to get to. And then you can throw a giant wrench into the middle of that because now we are about to start something that's really going to cause a battle uh, in the legislature. And that is redistricting because... The new numbers are finally coming out from the U.S. Census. Now, uh, this is long delayed. This was supposed to happen months ago, but the pandemic made everything slower. Uh, and so uh, here we find ourselves The you know, the census set the date. They said, OK, everybody, we're going to have these out by August 16th. So everybody's been planning for this August 16th and having their special sessions on other issues. And then the other day. They came out and said, <clears throat> actually, we're going to have them to you by August 12th. And so now everything has been sped up by uh, four days here. And uh, boy, is this uh, battle going to be joined uh, when those numbers come down. Uh, and, and again, that's going to be on August the 12th. 
Now, when we say redistricting is about to happen, uh, a lot of times redistricting equals gerrymandering. Uh, and if you're not familiar with that term or if you've heard it many times and you don't really understand it, basically it means that the party that is in power, the party that gets those census numbers, the party that redraws the maps has the ability to redraw those maps to help further entrench their power. Uh, and, you know, both parties have been accused of doing this in different places across the country. Observers have noted that Republicans have been especially effective at it, though, uh, especially if you look back at the last time around in 2010, when those numbers came out from the census uh, and Republicans redrew maps. It is particularly a big concern in states where one party has total control. Now, does that sound familiar? We are in that boat here in Texas. Republicans, of course, have control of the Senate, the House and the governorship and have for many years now. And so we're talking about this today because uh, we don't know what's going to happen when these numbers come down. But it is sure to be very interesting here in Texas. And it affects every one of us who goes to cast a ballot, how this all turns out. And so we're bringing in a very smart guy, a guy with some deep Texas ties too. Uh, his name is Michael Lee. He is the senior counsel for the Brenton, the Brennan Center's democracy program. So Michael, thanks for uh, being on the podcast with us today. I, let's start off with, uh, you know, whether the date was August 16th or August 12th or whatever, this is not a date that most people mark on their calendar. It's not something that people think about this uh, once every 10 years event. Well, that, that's right. I mean, redistricting is a, a process. I, I like to call it at every 10 year Olympics. And just like, you know, some, there are Olympic sports that you don't necessarily pay attention to, except when the Olympics occur, then you pay uh, rapid attention to them. Um, the same is with redistricting, except that the consequences are really, really high because it will determine not only who wins the next election in 2022, but who holds power in states like Texas for the rest of the decade and whether communities are treated fairly, particularly communities of color who in Texas provided over 90 percent of the state's population growth last decade. And and so, you know, as we say, you know, a lot, not a lot of people pay attention necessarily to this process, but you, of course, do full time uh, and you have been writing a lot about this. And one of the things that you have written is that one of the state's that you consider to be one of the, quote, highest risk is Texas. Can you explain why that is? Sure. So, you know, the, you know, the, the number one thing that determines whether a state has uh, problems in redistricting and sees redistricting abuses is whether one political party controls the whole of the process. And, and that is the case in Texas because Republicans control both houses of the legislature and Governor Abbott is also a Republican. And, and when that's the case, whether it's Democrats in control or Republicans in control, we know that you know, partisan considerations get uh, are there first and foremost, and that um, you know maps are drawn uh, mostly in secret, and the decisions are made really within one caucus, and 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 um, you know that is sort of the the, the real danger. But Texas also, um, we think, is a is a high risk state because um, uh, you know it's seen very fast population growth, as I mentioned, in its com communities of color, Latinos, were about fifty five percent of po Texas's population growth, and Black Texans and Asian Texans uh, account for the other forty percent of the the state's population growth, um, and, and white white Texans were only about twelve uh, percent of the population growth. And so, you know, it's seen very fast 
population growth. It's become much more politically competitive in ways that I think challenge the party in control. Um, you know, and that's also a danger sign when, when the party in control um, thinks that it might be on the outs. Um, you know, there's an incentive to try to put your thumb on the scale to try to hold on to power a little longer. But also the legal framework has has gotten more frayed and given Texas more room. So the Supreme Court has said that partisan gerrymandering claims can no longer be brought into the federal constitution. Um, and and likewise, uh, key protections of the Voting Rights Act have been weakened um, or uh, taken away entirely. And that, that means that you know, there's a lot of room for abuse. Um, while in the past, um, you know, right, well, just for example, you know, tech, Texas lawmakers can easily discriminate against Black and Latino Texans, um, uh, which they've done, you know, repeatedly over multiple decades, um, and simply now claim that, uh, you know, that was because they were discriminated against Democrats because of the racial polarized voting, uh, racially polarized voting in the state. And so, you know, that is, um, you know, that's just an example of one of the dangers that exist. So, Michael, uh, you know, you mentioned that the census has bumped this up by a few days now to August 12th instead of the release date that they were looking at of August 16th. Uh, but in reality, uh, the, this data is delayed uh, by months and months, and, and that's because of COVID. This should have already come out long ago, but of course, the pandemic changed everything. In your eyes, is this late entry of data a good thing or a bad thing? Is it a good thing or a bad thing that we had to wait for it? Well, it's it's a good thing in the sense that you know the Census Bureau took the time it needed to make sure that it got the best quality data possible that, you know, not only do they spend more time knocking on doors and, and you know, tracking people down, you know, with all of the disruptions of COVID, but they spent a lot of time after the fact, double checking the data, making sure that everything was as good as it could be. Um, that said, um, you know, getting the data later, um, you know, normally it would have come out in February for Texas, um, but now it's not coming out till the middle of August. Um, mm -hmm. You know, now that 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 means that the redistricting cycle will be compressed. It will take place in a special legislative session. Uh, and that's a very different animal in Texas, isn't it? When you yeah. when you take up redistricting in a special session versus in the regular legislative session. Yeah, absolutely. It's a 30 day rushed process. And, you know, the governor controls the timing of that. And, and because it's a late special session, there will be less time to challenge maps in court. Um, and we know from experience that, you know, going to court over maps in Texas is ultimately how you get fairer maps. Um, and, you know, there just will be less time to do that on the back end. You know, Texas normally would have finished redistricting in May or early June, and then there'd be a full six months to litigate about it. But now there will just be perhaps a few weeks. Uh, you recently write, wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post about the urgent need to pass reform at the federal level to prevent gerrymandering from happening in the states. I want to get into you know some of the things that you said in there, uh, but first I'd like to know, because I always like to know these things, uh, so you write this op-ed in the Washington Post. We know that the Washington Post is heavily read by lawmakers and influencers. Um, have you heard anything since you wrote that? Have you felt like that increased any momentum in one direction or the other? Well, I, I definitely think that there is momentum, particularly among Democrats and now, uh, you know, increasingly um, among others for, for doing something about redistricting, recognizing that, you know, redistricting is urgent, um, that, you know, other vote, voting changes made by the, the For the People Act wouldn't take effect until 2022, but redistricting is now, um, literally. <laughs> and and so I, I do think there is some sense that they need to do something. And I think there is a recognition that redistricting is a key part of the reforms. Um, and hopefully this is helping focus people a bit because a lot of the attention has been on the stuff that won't take effect until 2022. But, um, you know, I think 
hopefully now people are starting to say, wait, like this, this thing is, um, you know, right before 2022, it's, it's right now. Yeah, you, you talk about some of the other stuff that might not take uh, effect until 2022, and we're talking there about uh, voting legislation that is uh, being considered right now, being crafted by Democrats, uh, that would basically roll back uh, some of these voting restrictions that have been put in place across the country, particularly in Republican-controlled states. Uh, and, and, and you do say that, you know, unlike some of those other things that might be addressed in a bill like that, this cannot be put off. And you make the point in here saying that in a matter of weeks, the process will be over in most of the country. I think when people hear redistricting, they think, well, that sounds like a lot of math. And that sounds like, you know, something that might take a while. You just told us how fast that could happen here in Texas in a special session. But most of the country could have this all wrapped up in a matter of weeks. Yeah, the, the 18 states have some kind of deadline, either a deadline to finish drawing maps or an election related deadline that require the finishing of maps either this fall or you know very early in the winter. Another 14 states customarily redraw their maps the year ending at once so of 2021. And if they hold to that, you know, 32 states will be done uh, with maps around Christmas or shortly thereafter. And, you know, that's most of the country. So key states like Texas, North Carolina, Illinois, um, Ohio are all expected to, to redraw their maps uh, very fast. And even though you have the courts at your disposal after that, as you say, once the horse is out of the, bo- the barn, it's a, it's a whole lot harder to get it back in there. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who wonder if, uh, you know, sweeping changes, uh, you know, to uh, pr- quote unquote protect the vote uh, there in Congress will actually pass because there's been a lot made about the filibuster and will they have enough votes to get it done. Um, what are your feelings about this? Do you think that this will be addressed? And specifically, do you think that gerrymandering, what, what hopes do you have that gerrymandering specifically is going to be addressed in time, which would give us very little time, especially with infrastructure eating up so much of the attention right now. Well, the good news is that Senator, well, Senator Sinema, uh, who is one of the, the doubters of the filibuster, is a co-sponsor of the For the People Act, and Senator Manchin and his compromise proposal specifically mentioned banning partisan gerrymandering as something that needs to be done. And by all indications, he understands how difficult this cycle is going to be, especially for communities of color if they don't act. Now, they also have to do something on the filibuster, which means changing the Senate rules in some way, either getting rid of the filibuster or reforming it in some way. And I know that those discussions are ongoing. I don't think that, um, you know, there's some things that Senator Manchin and others won't do, but, you know, there, I think there are a lot of things that they're open to. And the president has even said that he's open to, you know, talking filibuster or the like. Um, and so, you know, the, but, you know, hopefully they, they can, can finished where they are on that um, soon. Uh, but, you know, the first step was to get to a bill that all 50 Democrats and in, in, in the Senate and Democrats in the House can agree to, and then you kind of figure out how to move the bill toward passage. And so the first step is done. Now the second step is figuring out what to do on the filibuster. Uh, Michael, as you know, a lot of uh, folk, uh, attention has been focused here in Texas recently on this special session where Republicans were ready to uh, pass some uh, sweeping voter restrictions here in this state. Democrats uh, walked out at the last minute, went to uh, Washington, D.C., and therefore prevented uh, anything really from happening in the legislature right now. Uh, there are a lot of things that state Democrats were opposed to, uh, and we've heard of so many of these restrictions, not only in Texas, but across the country. Are you worried that gerrymandering sort of just gets lumped in with all of the other things, like, you know, the whole idea that you can't give food or water to people standing in line or 
uh, things about mail-in ballots. Do you worry that gerrymandering might be considered by, you know, the average Joe as being something that's just sort of in that same bucket? Well, I I definitely think that it's easier for the person on the street to understand uh, laws that, for example, ban you from giving somebody water while they're waiting in line to vote. I mean, that that's a more instinctive thing that, that people sort of understand. And so that has not surprisingly been driving a lot of the conversation. And for good reason, a lot of those laws are really outrageous and very discriminatory. But I think what's important for people to understand is that, you know, those laws are designed to make it harder for you to vote. What gerrymandering is designed to do is to say, like, even if you run that gauntlet, your vote won't really count because we have predetermined what the result is going to be. And so they're, they're really flip sides of the coin. And you really do need to address both. Um, you know, you can have the fairest, freest election on gerrymandered maps and it will produce a bad outcome. All right, let's uh, pause here and uh, maybe have a swig of beer and, um, you know, think about what Jason Whiteley must be doing uh, relaxing in Hawaii. Uh, We're going to continue our uh, discussion with Michael Lee, the senior counsel of the Brennan Center's Democracy Program, right after this quick word from the sponsor. All right, so uh, let's pick up our conversation again with uh, Michael Lee, the senior counsel for the Brennan Center's Democracy Program. Uh, Michael, uh, thanks again for uh, staying with us here. I want to ask you, you know, as we're talking about gerrymandering, um, my question is, how does that actually slight voters when a, when a legislature goes in and specifically redraws the maps like this uh, to give themselves some kind of a partisan advantage? How does it hurt voters? Yeah. So so John Adams at the founding of our country talked about how state legislatures, how Congress should be an exact portrait, a miniature of the people as a whole, with the idea being that if your interests are at the table, so should you. But what gerrymandering does um, is it puts a thumb on the scale to favor one party or the other to discriminate against racial or, or ethnic minorities. And it, it produces really skewed maps. So take North Carolina, for example, a 50-50 state. Uh, the map that was drawn there last decade was designed to produce 10 Republicans and three Democrats, right? In a 50-50 state, uh, Democrats would only get about a quarter of the seats. And it it was durable, so durable that it would have lasted the whole of the decade, right? And you saw similar maps in states like Pennsylvania, 13-5, Ohio, 12-4. And that really sort of skews, you know, what Congress looks like. And, and, you know, that is, um, you know, it is done through a variety of methods, you know, sometimes packing in your opponents, sometimes breaking them apart. Um, But, you know, and it's it's as old as the the, the country itself, um, you know, Patrick Henry famously tried to gerrymander Virginia's congressional map, so James Madison couldn't win. But data and technology today are making it, um, you know, much more durable and much more pernicious. Mm-hmm. When you say uh, packing in certain groups of voters or tearing them apart, for instance, if you have a, a group of uh, black voters or Latino voters or white voters, let's say, you could either put them all in the same district so that, yes, they will win that district, but they won't have much of a voice in all of the other districts around, or you split them apart so that you dilute their their vote in all of the districts uh, around. Is that, that's what you mean by that. that that's right. In Austin, Austin, Texas is a prime example. It's uh, the city of Austin um, could be in one congressional district, but it's split among six in order to diminish the Democratic vote there. Does that lead to voter apathy? I mean, uh, because if you're in one of these districts and and you know that it's almost a foregone conclusion that the party that you don't vote for is probably going to win every time, maybe you just stop showing up. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you, you've seen that, you know, um, around the country. And, you know, it, the other thing that it does is it sort of like destroys like local party infrastructure. You're the party who gets um, gerrymandered out. So like in East Texas, you know, there used to be a bunch of competitive districts in East Texas. And every decade or every election, people would pour money into those races because you didn't know who was going to win. But then they became safe Republican districts and no more Democratic money came pouring in there. And the local party sort of atrophied. Um, and, you know, that's um, you know, that's one of the side effects of gerrymandering. But it also, you know, it also sometimes hurts the party that does the gerrymandering or the voters of the party that, that does the gerrymandering because, you know, you have many districts that sort of are urban, rural districts. And so urban people in the rural parts of the district, even if they're Republican, you know, their interests aren't the same as the Republicans in the city. And they're competing for the attention of their member of Congress um, and, and, and having, you know, the, the member of Congress can only do so much. And so, you know, you're not getting the representation that you want either. Michael, you are reading my mind because that's exactly where I was going next is, isn't this a poison pill even for the party that is drawing the map ostensibly for their advantage? Because we have seen our politics here in this country uh, and, it, and here in our state, and it has just gotten more and more and more polarized. When you create a district that your party is a shoe-in to win every single time, your candidates are no longer going to have to appeal to the broad middle of the electorate when it comes general election time. And therefore, you can become as extreme in your party as you want to become, because if you are able to win that primary, you're going to win in the general. And we've seen politicians who have even turned against their own party after they win uh, and, and they become sort of a thorn in the side of the party. This isn't good for the parties in some ways either. No, it's it's not. And you're absolutely right, um, you know, that. Um, you know, people get pulled to the extremes, even if they don't want to be pulled to the extremes, because the electorate that matters is the primary electorate. And, you know, in both parties, the primary electorate tends to be a little bit more to the left for Democrats, a little bit more or a lot more to the right for, for Republicans. And so you end up spending and it's your smaller. Time. Yeah, it's smaller. It's, and a it's smaller, too. So you're you're appealing to this tiny subset of voters and they have the power to essentially elect the representative for that district every time. Yeah, you get more Marjorie Taylor Greens and the like, and and you know, and, and that is a um, problem when that's not necessarily reflective of the the middle of the, the you know the median of the district. As you mentioned uh, too, you know, we've got computers now. It's not like we've got a bunch of people sitting in a room with a great big map and they're trying to you know draw these districts. Some of which end up you know looking like a, a Rorschach ink blot test. You know, when it's all said and done. Now you've got sophisticated programs and computers that are able to basically spit out whatever kind of district, whatever kind of voting lean, if you will, that you're looking for. Yeah, it used to be you did maps by hand and you would draw three or four or five and pick the best out of the three or four or five. But now you can draw hundreds of thousands of maps in a matter of hours and you have much more sophisticated data about voters based on what kind of car you drive, what you post on Instagram, what where you shop. Um, and so you're able to construct very sophisticated models about people. Are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? How strong a Democrat or Republican? Are you a presidential year voter or do you vote in every election? And so you're able to draw maps with micro precision. It used to be in the past that gerrymanders would sometimes break down in the middle of the decade because, you know, you, you didn't have that much um, information. But now with this new information and technology, what used to be uh, a dark art has become really a dark science. It's that old adage about leaders picking their voters instead of the other way around. Uh, and, 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 you know, we can file this one under, you know, you reading my mind once again, because, you know, as I was prepping for this, 
uh, it just popped into my head that, you know, how do we even get, you know, people to care about gerrymandering when we're talking about it? Because I think when you say that word or even redistricting, for that matter, uh, people's eyes tend to glaze over. Uh, and there I was reading through some of your writings and you use that exact phrase. So there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of hyper partisanship right now. There's polarization. Uh, we hear all of this stuff being said about voting restrictions and protecting voting rights. How do you make people care about this? How do you make them listen? Well, the, the, um, I guess the good news in some ways is like when people see the results, they get really angry. And, you know, like uh, the aggressive gerrymandering in states like Ohio and Michigan last decade helped um, lead to reforms in those states because voters were so upset they went and, you know, in, in Michigan and passed a ballot initiative to create an inventing commission. Now, that's not possible in states like Texas. Um, but, you know, the, the, you know, people's eyes used to glaze over when you talked about this, but I think more and more people are understanding that, you know, our democracy is broken and that the way that districts are drawn, the gerrymandering is a big part of that. Um, and, you know, I think that's helping to create pressure for reforms at the federal level. Um, but, you know, you know, you're right. I mean, it is a, it's sometimes a hard issue for to, to break through on, um, but it's it's starting to happen. Well, you know, as you mentioned, Texas, of course, is uh, fully under GOP control. They no longer have to worry about the Justice Department necessarily rejecting a map before they can get it put out. Uh, and so I'm curious what you would say to, let's say, a Texas Republican who would say, well, Michael, uh, elections have consequences. We have total control here. And I have no problem with my party uh, solidifying its uh, ability to win in this state. Well, I, I would say, like, you know, go back in time, you know, a, a few decades ago, it, it used to be that Democrats were the ones who were all opposed to redistricting reform in Texas and the Republicans who kept trying to advocate for it. I, I just was reading this morning an article where President Bush proposed redistricting reforms very similar to the For the People Act. Um, because facing the 1990 cycle, they knew Republicans thought they were going to be shellacked and redistricting, and they were. Um, and, you know, like the shoe. Sometimes the the dial takes a long time to turn, but eventually it will turn, and you will be on the outs at some point. It's you know Texas is changing very fast, um, and you know really you know I think you know um, you know be careful what you wish for is what I would ultimately say. But I I I also would say this like you know like the the future of states like Texas, the future of the country really is multiracial. It's coalitional. I mean, what Republicans have tried to do in states like Texas is try to deny that and try to kick the can down the road. Um, I think this, if you had fairer maps and Republicans couldn't win without getting Latino voters, getting Asian voters, getting black voters in some share, uh, they would figure out how to try to do that. Right. And it's not as though, you know, we have a lot of evidence from the 2020 election that uh, more conservative appeals, more conservative messages, platforms do actually have appeal to to many Latino and Asian voters and others. You know, Republicans, but Republicans don't want to sort of take that and build on it. Instead, they want to sort of like say, OK, that's not enough. We'll just like, you know, suppress your votes. We'll gerrymander um, instead of like yeah. facing the future. I often think of things in terms of business, too, Michael. And um, I, I would ask people, you know, how do you feel about your cable company? You know, because uh, in many cases, people hate the cable company. But you know what? Uh, there's often been a monopoly in that area. And usually you see the best uh, businesses pop up when there is competition among those businesses. 
So generally speaking, when you set up a system where one way or the other, uh, it's only going to be a, a sort of a, a, you know, a one company or a one party show, you're not probably going to get a competition of the best ideas or the best candidate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask you this because you're the senior counsel there for the Brennan Center for Justice's Democracy Program. Uh, you all have been keeping track of all of these different voting restrictions that have been going into place across the country or being proposed across the country, including here in Texas. And I'm just curious for people who haven't been paying really close attention. Um, what are you all seeing when you look out broadly at what's going on in the country and how hard is it to just keep track of all these changes? Um, it is very hard to keep track of them. You know, this is something we've been doing for a number of years, but the number of bills that would um, be restrictive, you know, just has skyrocketed over the last year. Um, and, you know, 30 plus states have already passed some kind of law or considering passing some kind of law that uh, would restrict voting in some cases very significantly. And, and you know, I think, you know, it's a really, you know, it's an all hands on deck alarming moment for our democracy. Right. And I think, you know, it, it's something that, um, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, I mean, I'm glad that our tracker is getting all this attention. I'm sad that um, we need to have a tracker <laughs> that gets all this attention. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it really, we really are in an unprecedented moment and it's, um, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, it, it just really is, um, you know, I, 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 I have trouble believing it some days. Uh, I'm sure that you've seen the criticisms, though, when you speak up about something like this and you say that urgent federal action is needed to to turn back a lot of this. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the criticisms that, you know, you're you're being partisan or you're anti-states rights. What do you tell those folks? Well, you know, I, I, I go back to like Justice Scalia, who recognized that Congress under the Elections Clause has the power to, to override state rules on um, on voting, you know, redistricting on a whole host of issues. Um, he said Congress has the power to create a whole federal election code if it wanted to. And in fact, the the People Act goes less far than that. It, it still leaves a lot in the hands of states. It gives states a lot of discretion about how to run and structure their elections. But it does set a national floor, you know, some, set some national minimum saying, like, you, you cannot go below this level. And that is critical um, because we've seen, like, no shortage of people willing to go lower and lower into places like that you know really like it would be if you went back five years and said like hey can you imagine that somebody's going to pass this kind of law that bans you from giving water to somebody in line people would have said like that is never going to happen in america like that is so stupid hmm. um and yet here we are hmm. michael you could have done a lot with your law degree what was it personally that that, that made you choose to go down this path um, well, I, I, I once was a corporate lawyer in Dallas, um, <laughs> doing mm -hmm. corporate law, mm -hmm. um, but started, you know, just like, you know, if all, you know, you know, Texas is a diverse state. It's a, a state where that is oftentimes struggled to get things right um, with respect to um, its Latino and black um, voters in particular. Um, and that really sort of, you know, I, I care, you know, a lot about Texas. Right. And I, I want Texas to be like the 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 inclusive state that it should be. And, you know, that's really what got me into this um, in the in the first place. And, you know, what kind of keeps me getting up every day um, because, you know, the in Texas is the fastest growing state in the country. You know, the South overall is about half the country's population growth. Um, you know, like this is the future and we have to get the future right. And so I'm going to close with this. You mentioned uh, your time uh, working in law in Dallas. 
Uh, you also, of course, went to the University of Texas. Go Longhorns. I did. Uh, so I am, uh, I'm just curious if you can pull out your crystal ball here. Uh, you know, what, what card do the Democrats play here? How does this go? Uh, that is a good question. You know, you're, you're seeing a, a lot of anger among Democrats who sort of say, like, we don't have a lot of cards to play. We're going to play the card, the only card that we have, because it's just that important. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, it would not surprise me to see them sort of just stay out. Um, you know, I don't, you know, it's hard, you know, I think, you know, I, I you know, yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, like in, in the past, like, you know, they've, they've broken quorum, but people have come back. Um, you know, I think that there's a real anger um, this time, and I haven't talked to any of them, so I'm just sort of like speculating a bit. But, you know, I, I do think people recognize that a lot is on the line, like, you know, like our democracy is on the line. There is a lot on the line uh, here in Texas with this uh, as, as we go forward, because, you know, A, um, we have uh, two new seats coming online because of these new census numbers. Texas has added population. Some states have lost population. Those states will lose representatives. Texas will actually pick up two this time around. Where will those two districts be drawn? How will all of those other 36 districts that were already there be drawn? So the stakes are high, as Michael was saying. Uh, you know, this kind of uh, determines how things are going to go voting wise over the next 10 years. Uh, the, it is a significant event that's going to be happening here. And I'm very interested in his crystal ball there. What is going to happen? What are Democrats going to do? What are state Democrats here in Texas going to do? Because they don't have a lot of power to to stop this freight train uh, as it starts going. Will they decamp to D.C. again? Uh, will they walk out and prevent a quorum? What will uh, result from that if they do? Because uh, the stakes are so high here that we don't know how uh, Republicans will respond to that, how the governor would respond to that. So, you know, tighten your seatbelts here because this is going to be uh, some interesting weeks ahead all over something called redistricting and census numbers and something that uh, I think a lot of people haven't paid a whole lot of attention to over the years. Believe me, you'll be paying attention to this one. This 10-year Olympics is going to produce uh, some real highlights. Uh, all right, that does it for our uh, podcast today. We thank you, as always, for listening. And I don't know why I keep saying we, because uh, Whiteley's not with us. But Whiteley, if you're listening out there, man, at least send us a postcard as you're uh, having all these good times. I at least sent pictures uh, from my vacation. Uh, we hope to have Whiteley back here uh, once again uh, next week. You've been listening to Jason Wheeler all the way through this time. I know it's hard. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll mix it up again next week. Thanks, everybody, and we'll uh, talk again. <laughs>